we look at mysteries, um, magic, and conspiracy. So, Ian, do you want to tell the folks what we're looking into today? Well, yes. I'm glad to be back. This is, um, I was away for a week. You guys did the awesome um, different uh, mythical beasts. I missed the mythical beast episode. You guys did the, uh, you and Shelby actually did that one. Um, really awesome episode. And um, I am back for the mysterious missing persons episode. So we're going to go over some cases of uh, mysterious missing people or just missing people cases that we wanted to bring up that had some notoriety. And um, yeah, that's our topic for the show. We're going to be talking about all kind, all manner of mysterious people disappearing. So that is what we are going to be discussing. Um, getting into a bit of a um, disclaimer before we start. I just wanted to bring up that in, in no way, shape, form, or fashion is Amalgamania um, trying to be insensitive as bringing up open cases um, that have no explanation. We understand um, missing, a, you know, missing people and not knowing the whereabouts of a loved one is something that is very serious. And we just wanted to kind of let everyone know that that was um, first and foremost. Um, we have a lot of respect and understanding as far as that's concerned. And the um, idea to doing this episode isn't so much about sensationalizing these different cases um, in a bad way, but it's just about to bring um, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of um, understanding to other people that may who you know end up finding themselves in the same position where they're looking for a loved one or happen to be on the other end where they're trying to find a friend or something of that nature so this is more so about educating as it is about going over the cases and learning what we can from the information that's been presented so just a real quick disclaimer to let um those who have been victimized by uh, missing persons and um just the the families have that have gone through anguish of people that they've had in their lives um, this is in no way um, to be insensitive or um, to dismiss what you guys are going through. So there's that. Um, moving right along, we're going to get into our questions. And Jordan, you know I always got some questions. Of course. I have, yes, I got questions. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be us if there weren't questions. At least a few. <laughs> at least a few. We gotta, there's got to be some. You know what I mean? If, if we don't ask questions, we don't learn nothing in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. For me. And I'm... And I'm, and I'm all about the learning. Oh, you definitely are. No, you are the learning machine. <laughs> Absolutely. I can attest to that. Um, if I don't know it, she definitely does. And all the other stuff I don't know. So, yes. Um, okay, my questions going into this. First, I mean, well, I wanted to kind of um, talk a little bit about our spotlight case, Elisa Lamb, but we're going to save that towards the end. Um, being that her case is pretty much the one we were focusing on. Actually, what brought us to this topic in the first place was her case. Yeah. Um, but, um, and, then, and then Shelby and I were like, eh, let's expand it a little bit to unsolved cases. Which, wow. Yeah, good idea, you guys, because I got to, I got to get into some of my um, other, which, is, which leads me to my first question. Um, what are some of your, what are some of the, mo the more interesting missing persons cases that you've heard of or seen or have had some type of, interaction with either through media or someone telling you about it and then you go and look it up. Give me like one or two that have always stood out to you. Um, well, I mean, the cases that, two of the cases at least that I'm going to present uh, have, have always been pretty interesting to me uh, ever since I first heard about them. Uh, the first one being the Black Dahlia case. Mm. 
And then the other one being the West End Baptist Church, not the Westboro Baptist Church, not the people protesting everything. This is a completely different church uh, back in the 50s. Um, But there, I mean, I'm one of those people that I will, it'll be like two in the morning and I'll be sitting on YouTube watching these random videos trying to go to sleep but i can't sleep and that's me too i'm 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 that people too (laughs) a lot of of times the ones that i end up watching are like the unsolved mysteries kind of thing um and i mean i was a huge fan of the show beyond belief that was on for a long time oh yeah uh and uh and there used to be a show called, I believe it's Unsolved Mysteries, and I used to watch that as well. Um, yeah, the I guy mean, in the trench been, coat was the narrator for that, or the host for that one. I remember him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, there have been cases on there. I can't remember all the details of all of them, but uh, I do remember there was one where they found this guy in a cemetery. He was leaned up against one of the tombstones. And he was dead, and they've never, never, even to this day, uh, been able to identify this man. Oh wow! I mean, they've they've posted his picture on any number of you know shows uh, and like missing people things, and nobody has ever identified this man. Um, and I just, I always thought that was crazy that. Not a single person recognizes him. Yeah, yeah. None. Nobody. Okay. Right. Like okay. Like nobody. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? But no, it's it, it's like that sometimes. Or there's so few family that yeah. you know, after a while there aren't anyone. Isn't anyone left? Um, yeah, but I know. would think that you know at least like you know the the person at the post office might be like, oh hey, I yeah, remember or, seeing or, that or, guy or, or a mailman or somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no, nobody's nobody's ever identified this man, and he wasn't related to the person whose tombstone he was leaned up against, and there were no signs of foul play. He just, like, leaned up against this tombstone, sitting on the ground, and died, and wow. and that was that, and nobody nobody can identify him, and that's just, it's, it's crazy to me that... I mean, there there's no DNA for him. There's no dental records. There's nothing. No fingerprints, nothing. Wow. Yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty weird. Yeah. Um, and that was like back in I don't know, maybe maybe the sixties that that happened. Okay, so but they still. did have fingerprint analysis, and there was you could identify by dental records and even forensic science as far as um, DNA. Yeah, was, I mean, was I mean, there was off. at least something right. starting to go on, but yeah, no, they've never been able to identify this man. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, for me, um, I'm, I'm going to actually talk about um, uh, one or two of my my favorite ones, or not favorite ones, but one of the ones I found a lot more interesting. Of course, I'm going to bring up one of, I think, everyone's um, favorite missing persons cases. Um, Jimmy Hoffa has always been um, oh yeah, one of my favorites. Please, please tell me, please tell me, we're not gonna be like Geraldo and open the empty vault. No, we're not gonna go. Okay, 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 Jordan. Yes, I have. I am. I am the on location man. I want us to be on location for a lot of stuff, but no, we're not gonna travel to Yankee Stadium 
in the middle of this pandemic just to make sure that Jimmy Hoffa isn't there this time. No, 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 no. It was a football field. He was, was, he was supposedly so it was Giant buried. Stadium? Yeah, I think so. Okay. He was supposedly buried under, like, the 50-yard line or something. And Mythbusters, I think, actually went and covered that. Yeah, they went like, and checked out. And took, like, a metal detector and stuff and, and found nothing. Well, the, 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 the shocking, which we're going to reveal um, what I found about that case uh, later on. But um, there's there's been a couple of different developments as it relates to um, – Jimmy Hoffa's missing persons case, but um, and and of course you brought this one up, and it's just again one of the more famous um whodunits or um you know open murder cases um in Los Angeles is the Black Dahlia. Um, it was always, it was always a very um interesting case to me just because of you know the thought that that person whoever did that is still out there or was still out there, and who knows you know what other carnage they have wreaked or where you know where they've gone and what they've done um so that was always an eerie one for me as well um plus, plus it's tied to elliot ness so exactly well mean, see i didn't see i didn't know that i had i didn't know this had any type of um tie-in so I, I can't wait to hear your research on this like i i don't know that much about the black dahlia only the um overall aesthetic of what happened like i know that they found this young woman and um you know the, the condition in which they found her and that um she was well liked in that uh, immediate neighborhood that a lot of people knew her that's about all I knew and it, of course how faded she was because of you know her case and everything and how many people knew of this case so um, yeah. and I did find out that they they um, identified who she was eventually which was awesome um, so that her you know family could have some closure but you know for her being from New England and me being from New England was always something I found very interesting so yeah, I, I can't wait to get into the to the meat and potatoes of, of that case and the other ones that we're going to be um, covering. Um, my second question okay. for you, um, being that we have extensively, I feel like we have extensively covered <laughs> a lot of different missing persons cases and um, gone through the motions of uh, making sure we knew a little bit about the topic before we presented it to our listeners. Um, do you have any tips and tricks for, I mean, if someone finds, or you know, just things that they should do if they find a, a loved one missing or, um, you know, they haven't heard from someone or, you know, what is, what, what can you give given that you've done so much research and how people react and what people have done? And we've, we've seen a lot of um, what if, what's happened through third person. And um, if there's anything that you can impart on our listeners as to if they're ever in, encountered in this or if they're ever close to someone who encounters this, what information would you give them? What words of wisdom would you impart with them? Um, well, I know especially with the Baron 52 case that I'm going to be covering, um, a big thing for that one has just been that the family just has not given up. Mm. And and they've, like, they've gone and gotten in... Uh, political official spaces, mm. uh, military. They even went to the Pentagon mm. to, to read um, transcripts for themselves and talk to all kinds of uh, NSA and um, intelligence attorneys and all of that, just trying to, to find some peace and potentially even find their loved ones still alive. Okay. Okay. Um, for me, so, what, what did you have anything else? Up. Did you have so other than don't give up? Did you have anything else? Uh, no, I think I think my big 
thing was just, you know, just not giving up and, and doing the hard things to try and get results. Okay. Um, for me, I gotta, and, and I gotta tell you, my heart has broken over and over again for, um, the families of, you know, a lot of the missing and just some of the organizations, organizations who have opened up their doors and their uh, resources to people who have missing loved ones. And it's just, it's such an awesome thing to see people come together in a time like that. But something that kind of had, um, stuck with me through a lot of, um, the missing persons cases that I had, um, went through and did research on is, you know, if you love someone and if you care about them and you have a feeling, I know it's, I know it's, you know, we got to let everyone live and let live and, but you know what, make the call, call someone, see what's going on, go knock on their door. If you have that feeling that, that you, you know, it's not like them to do something, jump on it and find out if worst case scenario, you're just being an overbearing, annoying friend. And I'm sure that a lot of the missing wish that they had that. So, yeah. so do that. Be that overbearing, annoying friend. Go knock on a door. Pick up the phone. Call. Go check. Set up a smoke signal. If you've got to go over there with the bloodhounds, go over there with the bloodhounds. Whatever you got to do, you know. Um, you know, as 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 one of you know the the family members or friends of these people, definitely do whatever. If your gut's telling you something's not right, then you know, it. it I'd rather be wrong that everything's fine than to be correct and some yeah. things not and so you know my and i mean how many how many cases have we heard about from people that were like oh i went over because something just didn't feel right and something, they were exactly correct. exactly and um from the investigator side of this um the quicker that they understand that this person may be missing or that there may be cause for concern the quicker they can act and and missing persons the worst thing, unfortunately, especially for law enforcement, is they do not have a long window from the time that the person actually goes missing to when it is almost impossible to recover them. The yeah, window is a very short one. And unfortunately, a lot of uh, places have rules about how soon you can act. And it's like, okay, so if it's 24 hours before you can report them missing, well, that's 24 hours you've just lost right there. Well, you know what? And, and, and I hate to say this, and I am not, and, 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 and Amalgamania in no way, shape, form, or fashion encourages what I'm about to say, but lie if you got to. Tell them it's been three days. If you had to, whatever you got to do to get the fire or live under their ass, if you feel like it's a bad situation, you get them involved because unfortunately those rules can also hinder the process between these people being found. And the quicker law enforcement gets on it, the quicker I know they can't just jump on it. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously I'm I'm being facetious. Obviously, you're not gonna want to lie to your public officials or law enforcement. But at the same time, if you have to be adamant and insistent that something is wrong until someone, a patrolman, a detective, or somebody, you know, responds to your to your worries and concerns, then do that. Be overbearing, repeat yourself if you have to, make sure they know that there is a concern there because everyone will probably be a lot better off with you know, if there is something wrong that everyone's looking in the beginning. So that's my main piece of advice is just if you got a bad feeling, if you feel like something's wrong, call your public officials, call your law enforcement agencies, call the family if you have to, and y'all get together. If the police don't want to do nothing, you get the family together and y'all drive around looking. Whatever you got to do, you make sure you do it because um, there's just such a, a, a small window in between the time a person goes missing and 
um, you know, a, a fresh trail for you to be able to find them, attract them from, you know, what happens. So it's just, you know, it's just very important. And it's something that, um, and, and the other thing is obviously cooperate as best you can with law enforcement. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes because they're working in an official capacity and they're not allowed to have feelings. And I know that may come across sometimes in, in how they do what they're doing, but um, the more the merrier as far as looking for a loved one or trying to find someone who's gone missing. So, if, you know, if you got to deal with that, that's what you got to deal with. So just cooperate as best as you can and work with people, you know, to the best degree of your ability and, you know, love each other and stick together is the best advice I could give. Um, that and also, I mean, if you have a friend or a family member that you know spends a lot of time alone, you know, just check in on them every once in a while just yeah. to make sure everything's okay. I mean, I, I'm i a stay-at-home mom, right. and the extent of the people that I come in contact with on a daily basis is my husband and my two-year-old daughter. Right. And... I mean, my my husband, I would I would hope wouldn't you know murder me, but right. if something did happen, right, at least, theory, at least someone would theory. be coming to check, right, and see how you're doing. Just to, yeah, just to, right. and, yeah, I agree. And, and my mom, who lives a couple hours away, she texts me at least once every day, and go. sometimes and sometimes I'm in the middle of something and forget to text her back or whatever, and she'll she'll let it go until the next day, and if I don't respond, then she's like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, so there's gotta be. I mean, you know who's really good with that with me? Um, shout out to Santino. Um, you say Mantino. Um, Santino yes. Mantivo. He's he is ridiculously ridiculously good with that with me for some reason he he will call or text and just for no reason he'll be like what's up your eye bro and i'm like yeah i'm okay <laughs> he'd be like all right you know just for no reason just call it and check it and that's i, I mean it's it's random and it's like well, what you know what, what's he doing whatever but it's it's so much love there because you know he, that, that's what he's doing he's just checking to make sure everything's cool and you know, I hope everyone has at least just one friend like that that just reaches out for no reason other than to hear your voice and to make sure you're okay. And it's just awesome to have. So, yeah, I agree, Jordan. Definitely do that. You know, just pick up the, pick up that 10,000-pound phone. I know we like to text, and texting is the, is the new uh, communication for us because it's easier to go straight from brain to text. And I understand that, and that's convenient and awesome for us. But Let's go back into that old school, picking up the phone and just saying hello. Hey, how you doing? You all right? All right. And then hanging on up, however you got to do it. But uh, definitely do that. Check in with those that you care about and that you love and just make sure that they're okay. I agree. Um, my third question is actually a pretty brief one. Um, and this one, <laughs> and this one kind of um, puts us in the other side um, of, of the, of the missing persons. Um, and it's something that I have um, encountered a few different times in some of the cases that I've been going over. Um, you know, it's not always a foul play kind of thing. And it's not always um, a person wandered off because they've been injured and don't remember who they are. You know, some people have walked away from their lives on purpose for whatever yeah. reason for whatever um, convictions they may have had in the moment to do so. And that is also something we all need to take into consideration as well, because the daily stresses of life and, you know, just how, especially with, like things like this pandemic going on and um, 
all these different things in the world that have happened and will happen. Um, some people just can't deal with, you know, reality on reality's terms and have to find another way to, um, to cope. And, you know, leaving is a mechanism for people. So it's, it's a way where, you know, they can start fresh and stuff. So that's just something to keep in mind is, is, is the person who's missing the type of person that may have, you know, went off to go do, you know, start their life over again, or, you know, is there or do a they have a second life? Exactly. Or... These are, these are questions you got to ask as well. If you're going to be, you know, if, if you're going to be fair and objective, I, I would suggest doing so. Um, so yeah, so you, I, I imagine you feel the same way is just my, I, or I guess my question would be, since I never really put it into a question, is what do you, <laughs> what do you think about that as far as, um, you know, the fact that some people just, just leave, just um, can't, you know, don't want to deal with the life that they had and want a new one and decide to walk away right in that moment and go find it? I mean, I understand that's for some people and I'm, I'm not going to judge. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really not my, it's none of my business what right. people choose to do with their lives. But for me personally, I would prefer to just flat out tell everybody, see ya, I'm done and be out of here so that, you know, at least they have some kind of closure. Right. They aren't sitting there, you know, wondering, well, is she dead? Right. What ha what happened to her? They just know that I was like, all right, peace. Yeah, I'm I out. Go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know I what? I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and, I, and I've actually heard investigators say this, and it's 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 kind of cold, and you know, and I'm sure it will hurt some of the people who have been through this and understand. But um, it's the truth. Like um, you know, finding the person dead or knowing that they just left because they didn't want to be around hurts, but it's a lot worse than not knowing from what I yeah. understand, like not knowing is there's a lot to that. There's a very heavy weight to that. So I think that that's a really interesting point of view, Jordan. And I think that that's really thoughtful and uh, loving of you to at least offer them that closure. Cause well, I have I'm seen. Just a, I'm just a loving and thoughtful person. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, you're going too far now. Now you go. Now you're just going too far. <laughs> I, was, I was with you at first, but now yeah, I'm, I'm abandoning this campaign. I'm, I'm off this bus right here. No, no. Um, yes, you are. You really are loving and caring. I, I have to I have to attest to that. And I mean if I kinda think of it that the way that, you know, if if my husband decided one day that he didn't want to do this anymore, I would so much rather him tell me I'm done, I'm leaving bye than me sit here every day for the next fifty years wondering if he's gonna show up. Yeah, that, yeah, I can only imagine. Or be found dead or whatever. Right, so no, I can imagine. For me, so for me, wanting that closure myself personally, so therefore, why would I, why would I take that away from somebody else? Okay, no, I, I can definitely, I can definitely understand. And, and, and that, like I said, that is a thoughtful, definitely thoughtful and understanding way of doing it. So that's awesome. Um. And that's what I think everyone should do. But again, like you said, and, and you got to kind of look at it from that perspective. We can't really judge. We only know what we know from our perspective. So it would be wrong to kind of say, oh, well, they're wrong for doing it. Like, who knows? You know, that might have been the rightest thing they could have ever done in their life for all we know. But 
there is that, you know, letting the people know and giving people closure. So it's a, it's a catch 22. And, you know, we hope whatever decision you make, if that is going to be you walking away from your life or whatever, that you allow those things to be weighed in the cosmic scales of justice. Um, so we are going to take a commercial break as we are powered up by the Dorkening Network. And we are going to shoot it over to our sponsors from Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee so good, it is to die for. And then um, you are going to be joining joining me, the boy wonderful Ian Wallace, and the lovely Jordan Lynn Epperson, back to start on the Elisa Lamb case and the investigation. So stick around, and if um, you have the number, call on in, and we'll get you all squared away and get some voicemails on. So here's a message from our sponsors. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, Get online and order yours at GetDeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. All right, Jordan. Now, everyone, or, or I feel like, um, shout out to Evan DeVito, um, longtime group member, my brother from another mother, awesome guy. Um, and he was the one who introduced me to this video, actually. Um, I guess just shared it because, you know, it's, it's weird, it's nerd stuff, and it belongs in Amalgamania, so it's a good place to share it. And um, he shared this video of this young lady, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I now remember, I didn't know anything about Lisa Lamb before this video. I had no idea who this young woman was. I had no idea about her case. I did remember hearing something about them finding her, but I've never seen this video footage and had no idea that this is what was going on with this young lady before she was found or that there was a missing persons case or any of that. So um, her name is Lisa Lamb. She is from British Columbia or she was originally from um, China. Her parents are originally from China, but they were immigrants that moved to British Columbia, um, Canada. And um, yeah, she had um, migrated into the Western United States uh, via the Canadian border to toward the West Coast, as any young 19, 20-year-old would want to do in their right mind. Um, from what I understand, this young lady was reasonably healthy, um, reasonably mentally uh, intact. Um, her parents obviously were not worried about her um, to the degree where they let her kind of roam the West coast of the United States by herself, which, um, says a lot in my opinion, especially with her being so young, they must've thought she was, um, amazingly capable to be able to do this alone. Um, on top of that, you know, she had her own little, you know, itinerary and travel plans and had gotten along. This was not, um, California was not the first place that she had, um, checked on her migration and, um, you know, sojourned through the West coast. She had been to a couple of other States before then Washington state, a um, couple of the outlining cities and into Seattle or these other different places before she actually ended up in La La Land. Um, upon her coming to Los Angeles, she um, 
obviously uh, needed some accommodations, food, shelter, water, you know, those three basic things that all humanoids need. Um, and she sought out to get them. And one of the places that she, well, she actually talked to a young man um, before she, um, you know, got a chance to, to find one of the hotels. And he kind of, he looked like a local and somebody who knew the scene and stuff like that and kind of told her where the best place was um, to stay for cheap um, and youth hostels that they had. And one of those youth hostels was in the Cecil Hotel. Um and you know, Jordan, um, I know this is not really because this case is such a um, serious case and it's it's so sad, but I got to get a little satirical here. And I got to say that I had no, I mean, this this young Asian lady got uh, white people movie, scary, scary movie, uh, stupid real quick. Like, wh why would you stay in the most haunted hotel in the entire world? Like, of anywhere to yeah, go. It was like, a, this is, no yeah, this is, this is white people horror movie stupidity i'm like, like, like come on man like this is where they found the black delia and, and richard ramirez like i'm sure someone or or just like, google the place like for crying yeah, out loud if like, you if you google it like the very first thing that pops up is most haunted a hotel in america like i and, and i'm not saying and i'm not and obviously i am being satirical i am not making fun of this young lady but any young impressionable people if Camp Crystal Lake is the first place that pops up in Google search when you're looking for lodgings, don't go there. Just don't. Don't, don't go to Camp Crystal Lake. That's not the place you want to stay. You know, that's where young teenagers get murdered, ex-murdered by Jason. Like, this is not where you want to go hang out for the night. Like, come on now. Um, so just, uh, that's my own little frustration. I had to get that off my chest. It just really bothered me that this young lady um, looked up these hotels and saw the Cecil. And for what it's being advertised for, and immediately not just say, yeah, no, no, definitely go into the Romano. I mean, I mean, even even if, you know, the whole Most Haunted Hotel thing doesn't sketch you out, the hotel is known for drugs and prostitution. Richard so, Ramirez, the Night Stalker, slept there. Yeah. Like, so, one I of the most prolific know, murderers. Let me, let me go find, let me go find a hotel. Um, a Hotel Six or a Holiday Inn or something. Super Eight the days in. We could listen. We will work this out. We could get you. We, we get you the Wyndham Rewards. We we will hook you up. Just not to Cecil. I mean, and no, not to you know take any business from the Cecil Hotel. You know, for us seasoned veterans and ghost hunters well, I mean, and, and, and I mean, investigators, they do, we they can do, do well that. enough with the they do well enough with people that are going there for you know the hauntings and stuff like that. Exactly, you know? the people, the vets who know what they're doing and have some kind of wits about themselves, and you know, there's that. So yeah, I agree 100. percent It's just not a place for young impressionable youth to just kind of traipse along and hang out for the weekend. It's just not the place I would recommend. Um, neighborhood's yeah. not all that savory, but this young lady, and you know what, Jordan, I gotta kind of, it's that catch 22 again, you know, because you're, you're, you're 20, you're 20, 19, 20, 21 years old. You gotta, you know, you got a little bit of money in your pocket and you know, you've got a willingness to see the world and you know, you're invincible and no one can tell you nothing and you got to figure it out and you gotta love that too. You gotta love that that's what this young lady was doing. You know, you have to love it. Whether you agree with her choices or, you know, are saddened by what happened, you gotta love a spirit like that. Someone who, you know, just wanted to go see different stuff and put some miles on their soul before they parked it behind a, 
you know, a, a job or, or, or a marriage or something, you know, and that's, that's an awesome thing. So I am not discouraging that whatsoever. You should, you should do exactly what this young woman did as far as traveling the world and see things and get some experience. But unfortunately, sometimes do your things, research about where you're going yeah, first, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, and, and we all understand that sometimes, you know, it's, it's random especially and it just happens. Especially if you're going alone. Yeah, and mean, that was my main thing is that this girl was like 80 pounds soaking wet holding a boulder and beautiful young woman and just like yeah like it's just there's just so much bad uh, unfortunately out there that maybe you want to take your cousin maybe you want to take a friend maybe I, I don't know I don't yeah know. I take, mean I mean maybe if you were taking like a group of like three or four of your friends or whatever cool whatever watch each other's back there you go. but if you're going by yourself, then you need to do a little bit more research about, you know, what's safe. Yeah. Because, like I said, that hotel has been known for, like, drug raids and prostitution and all kinds of yeah. sketchy sketchy stuff over the years. I mean, it, it ended up in Skid Row back in the Depression. Right. Um and didn't really, you know, dig its way out. No, that's part of the um, that's part of the overall aesthetic of the place is that it kept its, um, you know, that that like that it's charm. it's on the edge of a of a of a sketchy area. Oh yeah, no, the neighborhood surrounding the Cecil is like it's the hood. It's it's the hood, like the one of the main ones in Los Angeles. It's just a, a very, um, reputable neighborhood as far as like you said, drugs, um murders uh crime in general all kinds of crime um this is one of the places where you go to you know find these things and do these things so you know like like jordan said just use a little wisdom um definitely uh search and check what you're gonna do um but getting back to lisa lamb she um she you know traveled the world or she's traveling los angeles looking you know she finds the cecil hotel she checks in um you know, there's obviously a little, a few things that made her a little bit more, um, you know, like you said, seeing these things, you know, and, and um, seeing the different prostitutes and, um, and you know, seeing the different things that are going on in this hotel as you're kind of walking through and wading through. You know, this young lady um, obviously wanted to see some sights and obviously she started to see how sketchy it was in this hotel as she was starting to, um, you know, see people's surroundings and everything. And, um she goes out for a walk, goes to eat, goes, you know, uh, checks in on her blog. She has a blog, apparently, where she's um, online keeping up with friends and posting on social media. I think this was back in the beginnings of social media. So it was like, um, you know, she she was obviously a very smart, very capable young lady and um, made some calls to, um, you know, family members, friends, whatever else ha have you. And then, um, you know, went out for a bit. And then when she came back to the hotel, um, that's when things started to get a little interesting. And by interesting, I mean um, that this young lady um, went back to her hotel room and then, um, you know, had not left that entire night from the hotel and then, um, you know, wandered into the hallway, um, obviously got down to an elevator. And this is where it starts to get really creepy and really weird. Um, you know, there's some footage, and anyone who has not um, gotten a chance, please go ahead, look it up on YouTube or on Google. I'm sure you'll be able to find it quickly, fairly easy. Um, her name is Elisa Lamb. 
Um, just look up Elisa Lamb footage, and I'm sure you will see this video. Um, Jordan, let's talk about this a little bit, the, the um, footage. Because um, when I saw this, I, I immediately, in my heart of hearts, I'm looking at this video and I'm saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, oh, hell no. There's some, there's something very wrong here. That's the first thing that comes into my mind when I'm watching it is like, oh, hell no, there's something very, very wrong here. So now that I've given a little bit of the, or pretty much all of the um, introduction to the meat and potatoes of this case and what we're going to get into as far as some of the other stuff um, after the fact, but um, how did you feel? Jordan, when you saw this footage for the first time? Um, well, I mean, they, they have since decided that she also had um, a form of bipolar disorder. And also, as I said, this area is known for drugs. And as many people know, a lot of different drugs will give you hallucinations. But, I mean, there have been a bunch of murders and suicides at this hotel. And people have spotted ghosts in this hotel. So, I mean, it could it could really go either way. I, um, I think that's what made it so interesting for me is because of the location, it kind of leaves that up to the imagination. And you're right that this could have been pretty much anything. So, I, I agree. But for you, when you looked at this footage... What 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 did it say to you? Your, your your first time you're ever watching the Lisa Lamb footage, and what's the first thing you think? Um, the the first thing the first thing that came out of my mouth was WTF. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Okay. Like, Yo, I think that's everybody. No, yeah, what's yeah. I think we here? can all rubber stamp that. I think all of us can rubber stamp the fact that those were the first. Uh, initial reactions from anyone watching this footage and then finding out they didn't find her missing for two weeks <laughs> like did they not notice that she was missing from her room in those two weeks well they didn't notice that she didn't check out well technically they found her two weeks after but she was reported missing i think maybe 72 hours after the last time anyone had saw her, which was in the lobby of the hotel, um, that 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 Thursday or Wednesday or I forget what day it was, but whatever day it was that she was last seen physically seen in the hotel, um, they had they had reported her missing. Her parents had reported her missing like days after that. Um, and then and then I was really grossed out by the way that they found her, and. For me, it kind of feels like there might have been an element of, of foul play there, um, since she was sealed into this water tower. Um, but I think that probably her mental state didn't help matters. Um, so I I want to lean towards an explainable answer, okay. um, whether it be drugs or bipolar disorder or whatever um just just because it, it puts me a little bit more at ease all right um, so you're definitely scully on this one i i want to be okay no i no i hear you no i hear you i hear you and um i gotta i gotta i gotta i gotta play cagney or lacy i got i gotta be molder on this one i just gotta because 
I don't, I, and you know, Jordan, and you know me, as far as research, I may crack the jokes and, you know, I may have a little bit to say about things, but when it comes to researching and finding out the truth about something, I am adamant. I am a brick. I am a stone when it comes to this. I will do whatever I got to do to make sure I get to the bottom. And I got to tell you, Jordan, I have crawled over this thing with a fine, um, you know, tooth comb and and outside of my initial feeling of straight eerie like just something strange in the neighborhood when i saw this uh footage um I, it's it didn't go anywhere it did not after reading everything going over everything looking at all this research it did not that feeling did not dissipate nor did it leave there's something very very wrong in this particular case and I just wish I knew more. Um, I have been over the autopsy reports. I, I have read that this young lady suffered from um, some form. And again, this is a mild, a mild um, portion of, of what a bipolar disorder is. Like this young lady suffered from like mood swings. It wasn't like she was on heavy psychotropic medications for like a serious, you know, like she needed to be hospitalized because she was crazy. This was not the case. I'm well, sorry, this but, just was but not. But you know what? With, with bipolar disorder, sometimes when it's first coming on, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't appear that way at first, and then all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks. Okay. Um, my, my, cousin, my cousin has um, bipolar disorder, and she also had Graves' disease, which um, her, her thyroid had to be irradiated um so she has no thyroid and your thyroid uh controls a lot of the hormones in your body but um when she basically started nah, she was probably she's 20 years older than me so she was probably about 25 um she had had like a mild form of bipolar disorder and around the time that she was like 25 she like snapped and they ended up having to majorly up her dosage just because all of a sudden it was like everything hit her all at once. Okay. And she's been, and she's been that way for since, since then. Okay. Um, but so, I mean, I, I just based on seeing that personally, I mean, it is, it does seem like a plausible answer to me at least i'm even going to give you that because that is it is most of the answers that i've heard regarding how this young lady ended up in this tank are plausible bipolar disorder having some type of mental deficiency and and taking some type of medication okay all right you know hey i'm with you guys i'm scully but you look at this footage okay and you look at this footage and you say to yourself this is not a mood swing. This is not some person having a midlife crisis on their way to an elevator. There's some, there was, it's just, I'm sorry. I'm looking at this footage and I'm seeing it all over in my head again. And after going through everything, there's something, whatever happened in that hallway that night, sealed this young lady's fate. I don't know if there were people outside of the elevator or, or if there, if she had experimented with some drugs or who knows who knows there could be a host of wild theories and i've heard many um 
going over this investigation, but I, I am firmly and stand firmly by the opinion that outside of that elevator that night in that hallway, something went very wrong. This young lady had trekked and sojourned through most of the Western United States um, northern region and into Los Angeles um, through most of Orange County on a bus with a backpack. Like, she didn't have, like, a duffel bag and a suitcase. Like, this chick was, like, packing really light and was moving, you know, like a soldier. And for her to just all of a sudden, when she gets to just the, just when she gets to the Cecil Hotel, all of a sudden, she just has a mental breakdown and jumps into a water tower and drowns herself. I, I look, I am all for unexplained phenomena. But this right here just is, it's just, there's too much weird circumstantial stuff floating around that just makes you go, nah, son, nah, there's something wrong. Well, like I said, I feel like there there was probably an element of foul play going on because she couldn't have sealed herself in that water tower, according to reports. Um, yeah, um, according to most forensic and scientific reports, it's not impossible. But it is very improbable that she climbed, first, first took her clothes off, which because she was found naked, took all of her clothes off, threw them in the water tank first, then allowed herself to, to you know, squeeze through that little... Uh, you know, just big the enough window for someone to her size, right? And then fall into the water, and then somehow keep herself afloat long enough to reclose the hatch, and then drown to death, like without screaming or uh, making too much noise. Like that's the main thing. Is okay, yeah, she's on top of the roof of the building, but like with maintenance checks, nobody heard this chick thrashing around and just like death throws or anything. What if she was just? laying in the water, waiting to die. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, it's just not how drowning works. It's just not how it works. The, the mechanics to drowning are not just you just, you know, lay in the water and drown peacefully, like you're taking a nap. No, you thrash when the body doesn't have air. It automatically fights at whatever's keeping it from getting air, and in this case being the water. So her being in there and there being enough room for her to keep herself afloat and breathe for, you know, days, you know, while she was in there, um, and I just, it's just it's something doesn't seem right. Like the fact that they found her in that water tower, um, the footage from the hall, the footage from the hallway is it for me. When I saw this video, I'm, my instincts, all the hairs on my body stood up and something said something made that girl go into that water tower. I didn't even have to ask. I didn't have to read the reports. I knew what happened. Without knowing what happened, I knew what happened. Something or someone made that girl go into that water tower and that's how she died there was something that influenced her to do it and i don't think it was her bipolar medication because i met i've met people with bipolar disease and yeah they might hate you one minute and love you the next they might uh all of a sudden you know want to take on the world they might want to die the next to two minutes who knows who knows there are mood swings but this was not like a, a violent clash of different hormones and moods this was this girl was scared um, she was obviously visibly afraid of something. She was hiding from something. She wasn't just like she was pushing buttons. This girl was trying to get away from something. Um, um, the water tower. The water tower was on the roof, right? Correct. Okay. Well, I'm. I'm gonna kind of, you know, uh, I'm. I'm gonna mark a point against myself here with this one. Okay. Um, I mean, there were at least what, five people who jumped off of that roof? Yes. 
plus people that were jumping from the the very top um, row of rooms. Yes, and there is a alarm to the to the to the door to the roof access. There's uh, a door that leads to the top of the stairs in the Cecil Hotel that leads to the roof access and this door is alarmed. Like those doors where you, the exit, fire exits, where you push it and it goes um, off. Like that. Um, and I mean, so that's, that's at least five to eight people that died on that roof. Well, sort of on that roof. Um, and I mean, took out, one person even took out a pedestrian at the same time. Um, I remember. Oh my gosh! So you you came across that one too? Yes. yes wow! Because the they actually thought the that they were like killed the together, or something. Right? Yeah. They thought that they were killed together, but really, what it was is she jumped off of the off of that floor and killed a guy on her way down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was really interesting. Did you do you remember how the detective found out that it was an accident? I, I don't remember what it said. It, the guy's hands was in his pockets. Okay. I was going to say it was something something to do with his pockets, but I was like, yeah, was his it hands, change or something? No, both his hands were in either of his pockets. And the the detective, I forget the detective's name. And actually the detective who caught that case was the senior detective um, or was a junior detective on the Black Dahlia case. He was one of the first responding detectives to the Black Dahlia case. He was a rookie back then. And then he ended up being a a veteran um, investigator by the time this this had happened. And what happened was he actually looked at this gentleman and he asked the the rookie detective who was working under him at the time, he said, um, you know, even if you're the most passive guy in the world, you're not going to let somebody push you out of a window with your hands in your pockets. Yeah. And um, and it's also also, um, another thing that if – a person with glasses, when they uh, commit suicide, if they jump, chances are they take their glasses off beforehand. Yeah, of course. And of that's course. and that's one way. That's one way that a lot of people uh, figure out whether it's foul play or suicide with people with glasses is if they were wearing their glasses when they jumped, because wow. they take off their glasses because they don't want to see it coming. Oh wow! Okay, I never versus, thought about it that way. That's actually really interesting. Versus being shoved off the roof, you're not going to take your glasses off because you weren't intending to, to jump die in the first place, right? Yeah. Um. Okay, so um, I know we have other cases we have to get into, and I'm just going to pose this question to our listeners. Please um, leave us a voicemail, give us a call, let us know what you think um, on the Lisa Lamb case, Elisa Lamb. Um, what do you guys think? Um, obviously, we had a poll where um, you guys let us know what you think. We're going to get to the results of that poll here in a little bit. But, um, I need to hear from you people who um, are more on the Molder meter side of this um, particular case and let me know what you thought it really was because I have no explanation. Like, I know I'm Molder in this one, but I have no explanation as to what happened. So, Obviously, the day goes to the scoliometer here because there's there's tons of evidence um, supporting other things. Um, ultimately, I want to know what you guys think. Please tell me um, what you think did happen, um, and we'll we'll definitely read it on the next show. Um, we're gonna get into some one one or two of your favorite, um, or not favorite, but one of the ones that you thought was more interesting. Why don't you go ahead and lay one of your cases on? All right, let's go with the West End Baptist Church. Now, this one isn't a um, 
it isn't a murder or a disappearance, but it is an unsolved mystery, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, so it was a church in Beatrice, Nebraska, back in 1950, okay. and the, uh, uh, it, the church had a choir, um, and the choir director, Martha Paul, um, she was super strict about punctuality and people needing to be on time for choir practice. The choir practice started at 7.30, technically, but she insisted that all of the people be at the church by 7.25 every whatever day it was that they practiced. Okay. Um, and usually everybody was on time. Uh, there were very few exceptions to people being late. Um, well, for some reason, on March 1st, 1950, every single member of this church choir showed up late to choir oh. practice. Okay? Which, that's not even the weird part. Um, earlier on in that day, the, uh, the pastor, um, he had gone in, at, I think it was like 4.30 or something like that, uh, to turn up the heat in the church so that the church could get warming up for the choir practice. You know, makes, makes sense. Right, right. That, that, sound, that sounds like a deacon pastor kind of thing to do. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking we're talking Nebraska in March of 1950. It was probably a little chilly outside. Yeah, yeah, you could say it's a little cold out there, right? Okay, well, he turns on the heat, and he, he goes back home. He leaves. Well, the heat didn't actually come on in the church. Hmm. So the church filled up with gas. Oh, wow. And it exploded. With the people, with the choir practice? Not with the choir practice in there. The church exploded at 7.27, two, two minutes after the time that the choir was supposed to have started practice. And they all showed up late. And every single person, including the choir director, who was so strict about punctuality, every single one of them showed up late and showed up to the church on fire. I hate to make fun of those... Uh, those good Baptist Christians, but won't he do it? Won't he do it? He'll make sure you leave the church so you don't get blown up. I mean, <laughs> I, and this is this is one of these instances where I've got to I've got to go with um, divine intervention. Yeah, I mean, come on, I that's mean, pretty. I, I, mean, I would I would say it's pretty obvious in this particular endeavor. Like God obviously was like, yeah, not the choir. <laughs> I mean. For, for every single member, and I mean, I have I have a list of reasons why they were all late. And they were all random. And they were all random. I yeah. mean, one of the people, one of the people who was late, literally lived across the street from the church. Now, see, I'm not a big, I'm not, and I mean, I'm like this. My my, I believe your personal relationship with God should be just that. I'm not a big fan of organized religion, but I mean, it's pretty hard to refute. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've got the pastor's daughter who she, um, something got spilled on her dress as she was getting ready to leave. Oh, wow. And, and so she literally turned around to change her clothes. 
Mm. And we've got we've got another guy who he was trying to mail a letter and got held up at the post office. Uh, another woman who she her car her car wouldn't start, um, and then it eventually did start, but she was late. Uh, the woman who was across the street from the church she was for some reason so worn out that day that she was just like. I can't even get up to go to choir practice. I'm just going to skip it. Um, we've got we've got the woman who uh, uh, the the choir director. Um, she was late because her daughter, who was the pianist, and they usually showed up half an hour early every every practice. Her daughter fell asleep after they ate dinner, and Martha, who was the director, couldn't get her daughter to wake up until 7.15. Like, she repeatedly tried to get her daughter awake, and the girl just would not wake up. Wow. Um, we've got another one that was having trouble with her with her math homework. Uh, another guy who his wife had uh, left town for the weekend, and he was stuck with his two kids and was trying to get them all wrangled in the car. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, these were all, like, super random, like, off-the-wall reasons. Yeah, that see, this is, this, is one of the, this is one of the arguments I would bring up to try to convince someone that there is a God, because how else do you explain I mean, that? Like, I, I mean, how do you explain random occurrences like that all making the same, just those people late? I mean, we've got, let's see, let me, let me count real quick how many people this was. We've got at least 16 people here that wow. were all that were all late to show up to church, nope. and when this when this church blew up. That's actually very very eerie, um, and to kind of think about the ramifications that if they would have all showed up, and you know, oh wow. I um, mean, we would have we would have lost you know at least 16 lives. Right to to an accident. To really. this, yeah. Well, what do you guys think at home? All of our Amalga Files listeners, what do you guys think of this particular case? Um, divine intervention or, you know, were the odds just forever in their favor that day? Right. Like, what, what, what do you guys think? We need to know. Um, the odds were forever in their favor or this was God saying, no, not the choir, not today. Um, did you have another? You had another case you wanted to go over, correct? Or you yeah, wanted to kind got... of talk on the Black Dahlia a little bit? interested talk to me all right so we've got cleveland ohio okay um and police found two bodies in september of 1935 in kingsbury um now one of the things that's going to be the same for all of these murders uh all of 
these people were either homeless or prostitutes. Okay. And uh, most of them actually still have not been identified. We we do we do have identities for a few of them, but I think it's only like four of them that we've we've been able to identify over the years. Okay. Um and mind you, so there's a total of twelve confirmed murders by the butcher of Kingsbury Run. Um but it suggested that there's another eighteen of them. So we're we're talking we're talking potentially thirty people that were murdered by this person, but we only have twelve of them that were actually confirmed to be by him. Okay. Um, and the butcher of Kingsbury still has not been identified. Mm. Um, so they found two bodies. Um, both bodies. They they were able to identify at least one of these bodies. Um, it might have been both bodies they, they identified, uh, which one of them led to one of our suspects later on. Okay. Um, but both bodies were decapitated. Um, they were murdered. They were dismembered um, and just dumped, basically. So I wanted to kind of point something out um, because of the way that – Jordan's describing this, which um, it's, it has nothing to do with the way she's describing it, but um, where your mind goes when, you, when, when I'm hearing you talk about this is I automatically see this scene of some horror movie, blood everywhere, guts and gore and stuff like that, but make no mistake, these crimes were not committed in that kind of fashion. These bodies were, or, or, the, or at least the Black Dahlia's body had been meticulously severed, like by a surgeon. Oh, and, these were two. These were two. They oh, were and, they, and they were looking, actually clean, devoid of blood as well? They, they were looking for doctors. That's who they were, um, okay. they were using as suspects primarily were doctors okay. because of how these bodies were um, cut up. And then five of them had been completely, well, at least five of them, um, had been completely drained of blood. Wow before being dumped in a see, body of water. See, now listen, do you want, do you want the scariest part for me about all of this? Is that, like the time it took for you to kill, dismember, and drain a person. Which, okay, so I, I mentioned it in our, our Beast Hunter episode here, this last one. Um, my husband, Spencer, uh-huh. he uh, used to work um, well, he lived on a cattle farm, a small cattle farm. Right. Um, so he's actually done, you know, breaking down uh, pigs and cows and stuff okay, like so that. So slaughter work, okay. Yeah. And it takes hours. Right. Oh, no, I can imagine. I can imagine. To do a single, to do a single cow or pig let alone to do it this meticulously that they're looking for a surgeon. I mean, so dude had to be, you know, spending tons of time doing this. Right. Like this is, I'm, that's, that's the scariest part is I'm thinking 
about being trapped somewhere for days. Well, I mean, I'm sure you were probably dead before this guy ever got his hands on you um, and started oh, doing no, this um, No, he actually, they actually found that uh, some of the bodies, they were decapitated while still living. Oh, my God. Yeah, um, this case actually, um, it fell under Elliot Ness from The Untouchables. Right, so he was he was one of the investigators on this? He was the, he was the lead investigator on this. Well, case. this was where in Ohio, right? Yes, this okay. was in Cleveland, Ohio, um, right. and Kingsbury, Ohio. Um, but yeah, he was he was the lead investigator on this case, um, and the last two bodies uh, they were actually dumped in a dumpster or a a, a landfill. Something, something like that. Right. Basically, in the trash, um, right. within like a hundred yards of Ness's office, the murderer—he was actually sending postcards to Ness, like basically taunting him and mocking him for not having found him yet. The, the, the murderer was sending him postcards, taunting him for um, not having, you know, figured out it was him. Right. And then um, he was actually he was actually pretty innovative with this, and he was teaming up with the fire marshal mm. and uh, fire safety because he was the uh, what was it the head of the safety department for Cleveland or something. Okay. Um, so he was teaming up with the fire department and all of that so that he could search these places without a warrant because he couldn't get a warrant because they didn't have anything to go off of so that he could search like doctor's offices and stuff like that. So he would have them do this, the uh, safety, fire safety inspection. And while he was doing that, he would look around. Yes. Okay. All right, Ness. They I mean, didn't call I mean, him the G-Man for nothing. Come up with anything, but you well, know, no, that is pretty you know innovative as far as being an investigator, and you're not. This is back then when all you had was the the, the intelligence tools to this job. Like, well, at one point, the torso slayer or the butcher of Kingsbury Run, uh, he actually sent a postcard to Ness's office saying that he had. Um, taken a trip to California, to L.A., and claimed to have killed, he, he either claimed to have killed or was going to kill someone and dump the body there. Well, guess whose body was found in that location? The Black Elizabeth, Elizabeth Short, otherwise known as the Black Dahlia. And the only thing that was any different between the Black Dahlia case and all of the butcher cases was that she was not decapitated. But she did have that big um, slice in her face around her mouth. Right. Um, but that was the only thing about the M.O. that had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, other people were suspected in her case, but like uh, Robert Manley um, was kind of her boyfriend. Uh, Elizabeth Short, she had moved out to California to become an actress, but didn't really make it and kind of was into prostitution instead, Um, which also follows the M.O. with Cleveland because all of them were either homeless or prostitutes. Um, But Francis Sweeney, I can't remember 
I can't remember why, but they did suspect him as well in that case um, because he had some kind of connection to Elizabeth Short. Um, they also suspected Dr. Walter Bailey um, because he had known her older sister, uh, Virginia, and he had some kind of degenerative brain disorder. Oh, wow. It didn't. It didn't give it a specific name, but apparently one of the uh, big telltale uh, symptoms of this disorder is that it tends to make people really violent um, to the point where they've found like people that are that practice pacifism that uh, all of a sudden go into a rage and try and kill people. So, I mean, it's, it was very plausible that, you know, with with that kind of illness that he would perhaps snap. And um, he also, there, there was also something about, uh, he really liked clowns. Okay. And so, so that was another reason that he was suspected um, because of the way her mouth had been cut. Uh, kind of, you know, Joker style. Right. Uh, so that was another reason that they suspected him, as well as she used to, uh, like I said, she was into prostitution, um, but that wasn't the only way she would try and get money. She would also tell people stories about uh, her husband or lover or whatever died in war, which that was true. Um, he had gone off to war and he did die. Um, but she would also tell people that she had been pregnant and miscarried, which was not true, or that she had had a child and the child died, which also was not true. Um, and Bailey had a son that had died and he was apparently very sensitive about that and he had gotten mad at her at some point about her story, knowing that she was lying oh, wow. um, and and him being a, a grieving grieving father. Um, but, I mean... Definitely not enough I, to dismember and decapitate the young woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she, I mean... When, when they first found her body, they thought that it was a mannequin because of the way that her uh, waist was dissected. Right. It looked like the upper half and the lower half of a store mannequin. Well, that's what, yeah, that, that's initially what people thought was that, you know, here's this, here's this mannequin out here. And then this, this woman walked up on it and realized that it just, it wasn't an actual yeah. person. Yes. Um, and as we've established, they have identified who she is now, but for a long time, she was just this nameless body. Um, but now uh, we know that she is Elizabeth Short, but they still have yet to decide who uh, the murderer was um, or if it is, in fact, tied to the Cleveland uh, Butcher of Kingsbury run slash torso flare cases so uh, but it is believed that whoever did these cases or uh, these murders 
probably either isn't able to continue murdering or has passed on. Which is what so I, which is what I uh, imagine. Either they had, um, either just you know wanted to get away with it and never did it again, or they were already arrested or killed or something. Yeah. So that's the good news. Right. That is it stopped. It's just too the, bad that it had to. The chances of it happening again are are slim, at least by this particular person. Right. But yeah, I mean, I'm, there was a streak of like three years where they killed. We know for a fact twelve people, but probably another eighteen people over a few towns. I mean, that's that's thirty people that were potentially killed by this one person in three years, plus another person like ten years later, and Lord only knows how many weren't ever discovered or were put in some other category because the MO was different. I mean but that's I mean Well yeah that's the, I mean if you look at the contrast between the two there really isn't a whole lot. Um, you know, to go on. It's it's pretty much what it is. You either draw your conclusions from it or you you know, look at it for from from the from the other side and add a bunch of stuff to it that it wasn't. And obviously that's how guys like this get away with, you know, and, and are able to do these perpetrate these different crimes because the spectrum between the two is just so far and few in between. It's not easy. Yeah. Well, and to go to go from Ohio all the way to California, right? Just to kill someone and piss off Ellie and S, like that's that's pretty that's pretty yeah. wild, yeah. Um, did you have any other cases that you wanted to dis- discuss or talk about? Um, I've got Baron Fifty Two, uh, which is which kind of falls more under government conspiracy. Oh, you know, I love me some government conspiracies. <laughs> uh, all right, this one. Um, takes place during the Vietnam War. Okay. Which we've talked about we've talked about the Vietnam War before and how Yeah, when we did the aliens episode, how yes, there was a lot how, of different um how it can sometimes it can sometimes be a little sketchy. Um right. well this one was February fifth, nineteen seventy three. Um and it, it took place in Laos. Uh this was I don't know, maybe a week after the Paris Peace Accords, okay. which which basically stated that the U.S. was to have no further involvement in the Vietnam War. But you know, you know us. We can't. We can't leave. We screwed well that money alone. up, right? <laughs> we can't leave well enough alone. Um, they they pulled most of the troops out of Vietnam, but they did leave some people to go on quote-unquote special missions, mm-hmm. um, one of which being the Baron 52. Um, we have we have eight crew members that were lost, okay. and uh, Cressman, he's he's going to be our he's going to be our big player in this that we're going to talk about mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Peter Cressman. Um, he was an electronics specialist. Okay. Uh, he he was he was sent on a bunch of top secret 
recon missions throughout the Vietnam War. Well, he found out that about the, the Paris Peace Accords and that the U.S. was supposed to be completely pulled out of Vietnam. Right. Well, after the fact, they decided, you know what, we're not going to pull your troop out. We're going to send you on a mission. And he was not very happy about it. Oh, wow. He wrote a bunch of, uh, well, he wrote at least one angry letter to his congressman about basically being sent on this mission after the accords. And he wanted, he tried to refuse the mission, but he was afraid of the consequences of refusing it. So he ended up going on this mission anyway. Um, we have we have Peter Cressman, who we've already talked about. We have Dale uh, Bradenburg, uh, Joseph um, Matov, okay. uh, and Todd Melton. Matov is going to be the other big one we're going to talk about in this. Okay. Uh, those four were all electronic specialists, so they were all doing basically the same job as Peter Cressman here. And then we've got George Spitz, Severo Prime, uh, Robert Burnt, and Arthur Bollinger. And all of them boarded an EC-47Q surveillance plane, otherwise known as the Baron 52. Okay. Um, so the four electronic specialists they were seated in the back of the plane because, I mean, they weren't, they weren't flying. And uh, three of the other members, uh, Robert and two of the others, they were um, pilots for this plane. Uh, they flew from Ubon, I'm probably mispronouncing that, um, Ubon Air Force Base in Thailand to Laos. And they were supposed to be monitoring tanks moving into Cambodia along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Um, they left at 11.05 p.m. and flew for about two and a half hours. And then reports started coming in about they were receiving heavy ground fire. Five minutes later, they lost all radio contact. Uh, the wreckage was located two days later, and only one of the bodies was recovered. Okay, so one one body, which was one of the pilots, um, burnt. And they also, the team noted in their report that they saw three other bodies, one of which being another pilot and the other one being a co-pilot. Uh, they couldn't retrieve the other three bodies at that time. It doesn't state why, but, I mean, they were in the middle of the jungle, so it might have just been they, they just didn't have the resources to carry a body, well, four, four bodies out of a plane. Um, the other four men, so all of our electronic specialists that were in the back of the plane, they were all labeled missing in action. Okay. Um, Medov's mother was told uh, that 
her son and the other three were missing in action, but there was a chance that they had gotten out of the crash, well, out of the plane before it crashed. Uh, about 18 days later, they were told they probably didn't, in fact, to get out of the crash because the plane had gone into a tailspin before crashing. Okay. Um, Cressman's mother, at the point in time where they decided that they were, they labeled them killed in action uh, when they decided that the plane went into a tailspin. Cressman's mother received all of his belongings a few weeks later in which that letter to the congressman was included. Uh, we later found out that he had also been, I mean, he had basically been blowing up any, any official's mail, phone, anything he could about not going on this mission because the, the, of the peace accords. They were violating the Paris peace accords. Okay. Um, Not that America cares about anything like that. Yeah. No, yeah. no. We, like I said, we can't leave well enough. Yeah, no, absolutely not. We, we've proven that at least in two or three different wars that we've been involved in. Yeah. But we digress. So we um, stuck our big nose in the business that didn't concern us, and well, Chris, the Cressmans, the family, they continued to to research this crash. They found out that four of the parachutes on this plane were missing. From the plane? From the plane. They crashed. So they were never, Ironic, so they never recovered from the wreckage. I, ironically, considering that we have four missing people, since, since the report that we had had before had mentioned the one pilot that they took his body and then the other three that were in, well, at least two of them were also in the cockpit. So we have four accounted for bodies and four missing parachutes. Hmm. I think mm. my, I of, think my Sherlock of, Holmes tens, um, uh, uh, radars is tingling here. I think out, my, of, uh, out of eight total people that had boarded this plane. Right. Four missing and four parachutes. Yes. Bigfoot um, got them. And the Crestmans, they basically spent five years writing military officials about, like, trying to find out more details of this, uh, of this crash. And the U.S. Air Force maintained that nobody could have escaped this crash. Yeah, yeah, even, well, that's if they were in the plane when it crashed. Even, even after, you know, we've, we've figured out that there are four parachutes missing. But no, they couldn't have escaped this crash. Yeah, no, it's impossible. Yes. Parachutes, parachutes um, don't work that way. Yeah. Uh, in June of 1978, the Crestmans received a call from an attorney at the National Missing in Action Organization. And he claimed to have seen evidence suggesting that four people had survived a crash and were captured by Northern Vietnam forces. And because of the, um, the peace accords, it was basically believed that it could really only have been this particular plane that these people could have been from. Right. 
um, there was a journalist, uh, Jack Anderson. His report uh, had U.S. intelligence intercepted communication from Vietnam forces shortly after this crash. And uh, Terrell Menarsen, who works for the NSA in 73, he was deciphering uh, Northern Vietnam communications. And the Northern Vietnam uh, communications requested transport for captured American um, pilots. Hmm. So we know that they had come off of a plane. These four, these four American soldiers that had been captured came off of a plane. Could it possibly have been the plane that crashed? Perhaps. Maybe. Right? <laughs> we don't know for certain, but there's a good chance. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's believed that, the, that these four people were captured after parachuting out of the plane. Um, the Mazovs, they went to the Pentagon to read the radio transcripts from the plane. And most of it had been blacked out or redacted. Oh, wow. Um, the Defense Intelligence Agency, they claim that Northern Vietnam's the, the communications, that they did exist, but the nationality of the people captured was never specified. <laughs> How convenient. How convenient. Um, in 1986, a retired intelligence analyst uh, named Jerry Mooney, he testified to Congress stating uh, that these four men were prisoners of war being held in the Soviet Union. Oh, wow. Which, if, you, if you've done you know, research on prisoners of war in the Vietnam War, um, a lot of the prisoners of war that had special knowledge you know, like our electronics specialists that we have here that are right. missing, um, they were shipped from Vietnam up to Moscow. And this came, this was something that was stated by uh, Menarsen, who we had that report from uh, that worked for the NSA. Okay. He's, the one, he's the one who told us that they were shipping people from Vietnam to Moscow. Makes sense. Well, I mean, communism was communism was communism at that point in time. Right. So that's not just something that we were like, hmm, maybe, maybe they are where we think they are instead. No, this was somebody from the NSA, a government agency. Testified that these men were prisoners in Russia. That are telling us mm. that special knowledge prisoners of war were shipped from Vietnam up to Moscow. And we've got a a retired intelligence analyst who is telling us that these four men were sent to the Soviet Union. Well, we can't believe that guy. Oh, no, not yeah, at all. No, he's, just, he's just an intelligence officer. We don't want to listen to him. Yeah. Wow. Well, so in November of 92, uh, do, you, do you remember hearing about how they had like the joint task force that was excavating stuff in Vietnam, trying to, you know, get bodies returned to the U.S. and bodies returned to... Actually, I do remember hearing about that, yes. Okay. Well, so part of this task force, they excavated this crash site. 
Now remember, we've already we've already recovered one body back when it actually happened in I think seventy three. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've still got seven men missing. Well, they went back to this crash site and. Even though they reported only three other bodies back in 1973, now there are miraculously seven bodies in this plane. Oh, so they missed they missed a few. Yeah, apparently. Okay. Um, which none of the bodies were able to be positively identified because I mean we've we've got 20 years that these bodies have supposedly been sitting there. Right. Um, but they did manage to find Maddox's dog tags, which he was one of the four uh, electronic specialists that is supposedly missing. They found his dog tags, and that's how they identified his body. And no DNA was run on the remains of the remaining bodies for unknown for unknown reasons. Oh well, you know. It's a, it's a mystery, Jordan. We do we do mysteries around here. That you know, it, it's it's unknown why no DNA was run on these on these other bodies. Kind of um, makes in, you miss Watergate. You know what I'm saying? In uh, in 1995, December of 95, um, all of these bodies that were found in this plane, they were laid to rest in Arlington National Cemetery. Okay. Well, we also have uh, a report from Robert Cressman, who is Peter Cressman's older brother, who says that his uh, remains, they were identified with dental records. Oh, wow. So they so okay. ended up being three of the bodies that we know now are covered for. Uh, no. The U.S. Air Force provided them with x-rays showing a full set of upper and lower teeth for for Peter Cressman when they were identifying his remains. Mm -hmm. Problem with that is that before Peter joined the U.S. Air Force, he had had several of his teeth knocked out. Oh, wow. So this man, his older brother, is is basically standing here going, this isn't him. This x-ray has all of his teeth. My brother was missing, like, half of his teeth. Wow. Um, And so basically, the Cressmans and the Madoffs, they're still trying to... Find out what happened. Yeah, they're still searching for answers. I'm not sure what the other two families are doing. I don't know if there is anybody left in those other two families. I mean, they, they, I mean, it was back in you know the early '70s, so it is it is possible that they are no longer with us. So there is nobody to search for them. But I mean, at least these two families are are still searching for their their loved ones. And that's and that's and like you said, not never giving up and just kind of doing what you can to, uh, you know, maintain and, I mean, and, and find out what you can is important. So shout out to the Cressmans for and the and the Madoffs. I mean, they were going to you know the Pentagon, yeah, and like making sure they demanding yeah. to see transcripts, and were basically very disappointed because pretty much it. I mean, most of the radio transcripts had been 
blacked out and redacted, so they didn't actually find out anything with that. Seems a little suspicious. I mean, yeah, a what, is bit. There, what is there? What is there to be hiding in the middle of a transmission, telling people, "Hey, we're getting ground fire. We're going down." Probably the part where the uh, responding, the other end of the responding uh, radio communication was like, well, we can't help you. Good luck dying. Yeah. That's probably how that went. And, and, and unfortunately, you see too either, much of either that. Either that or, the you know, the pilot telling him that, you know, oh, well, four of our crew members jumped out the plane with the parachute. And we're stuck in here, right? Yeah. And we're stuck. But I, I hope that I hope that they are still alive, that we can, you know, find them in decent health um and if they aren't still with us i hope that they were able to have peaceful deaths or at least die quickly right some kind and, and, and again closure it's and about that, closure and that we again can, like yeah, yeah and so. that we can find some closure for their families right um wow that's actually I, and you know i love me a good vietnam um mysterious uh happenings it just seems like a lot of things were going on at that time in the world in that region of the world so it's just that that's kind of cool that you came up with this one um my um my actually the last case that i wanted to go over real quick is one of of some notoriety to anyone who is an american citizen and knows anything about our um country's illustrious history um jimmy hoffa i mean who doesn't know about this guy um, Jimmy Hoffa was a, the head of the president of the Teamsters Union, and um, he was a big wig as far as all the unions were concerned at some point. Um, there was a lot of politics surrounding this man, um, a lot of mob ties. He was definitely mobbed up. He knew he ran with the mob mafiosos back then, which wasn't really easy to do because these guys were pretty much into everything. Um, but um, the way it goes is that he has just been missing, presumed dead. Um, but nobody has ever found his remains. And um, I always thought this was interesting because it was just one of those things where you just want to know, and he's been referenced so many different times, um, comedically yeah. and seriously. So um, you just want to yeah. know, you know, you just want to know what happened to this guy because it's just interesting. And um, I don't know if you've um, been on Netflix, obviously during this pandemic and this quarantine stuff we're going through, a lot of people have been watching lots of movies. Um, but if you got a chance to watch The Irishman. I haven't watched it yet. It is on my list of things you to watch. definitely want to. I mean, obviously, this is this is one of um, Scorsese's. Uh, this was done by, I think it was done by Martin Scorsese. And um, he had all the guys. All the guys from all the mobster movies was in this one. If they were alive, they were in this movie. Um, which I thought was really cool. Um, I mean, just to name a few, Robert um, De Niro, Al Pacino, um, Joe Pesci. Um, I mean, these are just some of the names that you're going to find in this, in this film. And um, I'm watching this movie. As I'm watching this movie, um, I'm kind of just like, you know, it's an interesting story, but they kind of show um, from, I guess, the guy who was there when it happens perspective what happened to jimmy hoffa and um if that's the case where um he was you know murdered uh by these guys in a house and then his body burnt to ash um you know you just think about that as you're thinking about some of these missing persons cases and that you know people are looking for these people and 
worrying about them and that someone's out there with this knowledge and obviously to to avoid detection in this particular case was the was the was the point to never revealing what happened to this man but you just got to think about that and it's just it's i mean it's good that we have some kind of uh a loose closure to this like we're pretty sh- everyone was pretty sure he was killed by the mafia um yeah but there's, there's, yeah i don't just, think there's i don't think there's a single person that knows anything about jimmy hoffa that doesn't that doesn't really believe that right exactly believes that they that he was murdered by the mob right like, <laughs> this is just this is just a, a loosely known fact uh without obviously implicating anyone from logos and osha but um we are saying that we pretty much know that the mob killed him and if that's the case um you know that the way it was done it's just it was just because you know you heard all kinds of rumors he was buried in giant giant stadium on the 50 yard line he was buried at, at the old ford motors plant he was in the back of some car on a, on a car crusher's lot and I, there was so so many different um you know ways that this could have went but um uh I, I bought a little excerpt from um Cycl- encyclopedia britannica and um, it says on July 30th, 1975, he disappeared. And this is Jimmy Hoffa they're talking about. He disappeared um, from a restaurant in suburban Detroit under circumstances that have never been fully determined. He said he had an appointment at the restaurant with um, Anthony uh, Pro- Pro- Provenzano, a New Jersey Teamsters of- official and a, fo- and a former mafia figure, and Anthony Giacalone. Um, Gia Colone, um, a Detroit mobster, both later denied having encountered Hoffa, um, who was never seen again. He was legally um, declared presumed dead in 1982. Um, so, yeah, there's just a little uh, couple of names, couple of facts that I've got from Encyclopedia Britannica, which is always cool to do research through them. Um, but, you know, let us know what you think happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Do you think that he was actually uh, murdered by the mob, then burnt up? Or is he, you know, just walked away from his life and living out California for years before anybody found out he was out there? Or what, what do you guys think happened to Jimmy Hoffa, really? If you have any interesting anecdotes or facts on that case, we would love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail, send us a text message. We want to know, we want to know, we want to know. Um... And I think that just about wraps it up for our missing persons investigation show. Um, we do have a poll um, for the Elisa Lamb investigation, and I'm going to read the uh, results to that. Um, she was obviously, uh, I mean, well, the, the question was, did she do this um, to herself of her own volition, or was there some type of foul play, or what? And um, surprisingly, um, it was an 11 to 2 ratio that a lot of people do think that there was something more to this. Um, a lot of people think that she was, um, you know, that it wasn't just so cut and dry that she uh, killed herself, that there was some type of foul play or something afoot here. So that I thought that was pretty interesting, although I was of that opinion anyway. So that's kind of awesome that um, I'm not alone there. But at the same time, I still want to know what happened. <laughs> like knowing something yeah. happened isn't the same thing as knowing what, you know. So um, that's yeah. not as awesome. But um, there are our poll results. Please take um, take a second to um, to join in our polls and participate in them um, every show. We do like to read the results on air. So if you want to get your uh, thoughts and opinions um, right out there in, in TV, I mean, I'm sorry, in podcast land, we can do that for you. 
Um, we have a winner for yeah. the Life on Other Planets podcast that we did. Um, we got some awesome participation to all of our listeners. Thank you all so much for being awesome and, uh, you know, showing up and giving us your two cents. Um, but Jason St. Carrie, our neighbor from across the pond, we're going to be sending you the Ellen Ripley and the arachnid alien um, action figure. So congratulations, our friend. Um, thanks for hanging out with us and um, giving us your two cents on, um, on those cool pictures. What about those pictures? Uh, yeah. I still, I still the, get shudders thinking about them. Yeah. I still get shudders oh. thinking about those um, triangle-shaped spaceships, and it's just – it's really weird. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing and um, giving us your, um, your two bits, and we're going to be sending you an action figure. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And also, um, I have no idea to pronounce this um, gentleman's name. Um, I'm just... uh, George, George Min J. Liu. Okay. I believe that's, I believe that's how it's pronounced. All right, so okay. George Min J. Liu. Um, we don't know exactly what region you are in, but we have some awesome comic books for you as well for sharing your experience and letting us know what I you think, have been I through. think he's up in, uh, in like, Pennsylvania area. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, we're definitely going to get you. I think he's around, like, where, like, the Gettysburg, like, haunted whatever stuff is. I think, I think you know what? Maybe we'll stuff. invite him to um, give us the uh, on-location tour because Gettysburg is in our, um, in our sites for our on-location tours, being that it's close. So maybe we can have him come out and show us the town when we go to visit or something just to, as an added and you know incentive but um thank you so much george for showing up and giving us your experience we're definitely going to um send you some books so um be on the lookout for that as well make sure we have your mailing address um and i believe that does it uh for this particular episode of the Amalga Files. Um, we will probably, hopefully, be joined by the lovely Shelby, our, your friendly neighborhood, Shelby Croto, um, for the next episode where we are going to be talking about cults. That's right. Break out your funny robes, get your sacrificial knives, bring a goat or two, bring three. It doesn't matter. We're all going to be in the building talking about cults, different types of cults. Um, we're going to be going over many famous ones, maybe a couple that you never heard of. We're going to be talking about what draws people into cults and, you know, what the cult life is all about. Who knows? You may even join a cult. We, you know, we, we would do that for our listeners. Well, maybe not. You know, it, you know I, I really don't think I'm going to be drinking that Kool-Aid. You're not, you're not going to, so you're not going to join it. So for our listeners, you're not going to want to join a cult. See, that's so wrong. Jordan. No, I, I think, I think I'm going to have to pass on that one. Sorry, all right, fine. Guys. So Jordan is not going to be joining, but I am definitely going to join a cult for you guys just to get you the inside scoop. If I never, if you never hear from me again, that's why it was the cult. The cult got me. So, um, but hopefully I'll be back with some interesting information for you guys, or maybe I won't join a cult. I, I, I do have a soccer practice with the boy, so maybe not join a cult this year, but, but it's definitely something on my to-do list. And um, we are going <laughs> to share with if, you. If that's, on the, if that's on the to-do list, do I want to know what the rest on the to-do list is? You really, really don't. You really <laughs> no one wants to know what's on my to-do list. But um, yes, joining a cult might be one of them. Might just be, I mean, I, you got to know, Jordan, you got to know, what is it, what, why do people leave everything they love and, and care about behind to go follow after someone? Like, there's got to be some kind of allure there, and damn it, Jordan, I want to know what it is. I want to know. Um, so, yeah, join us. We're going to be talking about cults. Um, thank you for listening on this show. 
I'm sorry this would this show went over a little bit um, longer than usual, but there was just so much information for the Elisa Lamb, um, Elisa Lamb um, investigation. It was all top tier reports and plenty of hours of us figuring out what we had to figure out. So um, I'm, we hope you guys enjoyed, and we look forward to having you on the next show. So um, this has been the boy wonderful Ian Wallace and the lovely Jordan Lynn Epperson on the Amount of Files. Stay weird and we will.